Welcome or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Roots-based Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. Today's episode is on the Cubs 2021 draft, specifically selections 6 through 10. I will run through them briefly, or not so briefly, and tell you why I'm kind of happy about this draft so far, and maybe a little bit of how things might melt down or break down or crumble down um, tomorrow when the draft concludes going from rounds 11 through 20. And boy, I'm going to miss rounds 21 through 40 because, uh, well, at some point I just get into it like, like a drunken stupor listening to names coming across the screen, names coming across the screen. And each name would add more data. Each name would add more data. And I'd have a better idea of which school, which conference, which player, which, you know, I I just learn stuff all the time. Nothing that I could ever impart to anyone. I'm just, I would just take in information. But now it's only through round 20. So uh, nonetheless, today was quite, um, quite arduous, I, I will say. After the Liam Spence podcast, I was pretty much ecstatic. I was absolutely thrilled. And the rest of the uh, six through 10 were very good also. I had just basically run into a wall. I could not respond to anything. And I took care of what I absolutely had to on Twitter and uh, I realize, you know, I'm not going to do a podcast for every single um, player between 6 and 10 because I my reaction time started to slow down a lot. So uh, here we go, 6 through 10. Riley Martin, left-handed pitcher from Quincy University, somewhere in Illinois. Is it Martin, Illinois? I, don't, I can't remember where. I didn't do that much homework. Um, in, in case you had forgotten, the first round pick was Jordan Wicks, a left-handed pitcher from Kansas State. The third pick was Drew Gray, a left-handed pitcher from IMG Academy. The sixth round pitcher was Riley Martin, a left-handed pitcher from Quincy University. Anybody catching a little theme here? I don't know. Um, Maybe there's one, maybe there isn't. Maybe I'm just imagining it. But um, Quincy University, a D2 school in Illinois, the thing with Riley Martin is he, yeah, you're familiar with strikeouts per nine. Yeah, a guy who strikes out seven, eight, nine in an inning, that's pretty good. Yeah, a guy who's up in the 10, 10 and a half range, that's obscene. Riley Martin was well over 17 strikeouts per nine innings. People at Quincy University did not, uh, people playing against Quincy University did not hit Riley Martin at all. Um, he walked some, but uh, certainly nowhere near as many as he was walking as he was striking out. Um, 17.8, 17.9 strikeouts per nine innings, something along those lines. So, yeah, uh, Riley Martin was the sixth pick. Um, I, I, I had nothing to go on with him, so even if I was going to be able to do a podcast, there was so little that I was going to be able to go with. Uh, good curveball, has some velocity on the fastball, left-handed. My hunch, he might get a futures contract. Cubs are allowed to give out 12 of those to draft picks. 
that would be he gets to do everything he wants to with the team except play in games. And the Cubs are allowed to give out 12 of those. What that does is, if it's a futures contract, the player does not count against the 180-player limit. So, well, and he wouldn't because he's not going to be playing in any games. So that would be the upside of the future, one of the edges of the futures contract. So uh, will Riley Martin get one of those? I don't know. Maybe they'll want to have him pitching games. Maybe they won't. Uh, maybe it'll all depend upon his, um, how he does in his physical. I don't know, but, uh, he will at least be interesting to follow. I, uh, I don't know if those numbers make any sense, but we'll find out. Okay. Round seven. I had, I, I hadn't paid a whole lot of attention to stuff since round five. In round five, bit in round six, I started writing down names. Uh, four names. I think it was six names. I wrote down six names. These are the six names I'm interested in. And um, round about the second or third round, I started writing down Christian Franklin, who the Cubs eventually got in round four. And after round five or six, I think, no, after round six with Riley Martin, between Riley Martin and the next 15, 20 picks, one of the names that I had on my name of on my list of six names had been selected. So I figure, okay, I'm gonna go down and start perusing the list, seeing if there's anybody else that I should include on my list. And I, I ran into the name Parker Shavers, an outfielder from Coastal Carolina. And Parker Shavers was the name I decided, you know what, I'm gonna throw him onto the list. So for the seventh round, Parker Shavers was added to my list, and Parker Shavers was selected. Shavers is a center fielder from Coastal Carolina. His OPS in his career at Coastal Carolina was 956. 956 OPS in a legitimate baseball conference. What I'm going to say is Parker Shavers is a better center fielder than some of the players right now in Myrtle Beach. Parker Shavers is a better hitter than some of the players in Myrtle Beach. That doesn't mean that for instance, Jordan Wogu is going to lose significant playing time or be in danger of getting released or anything along those lines. But there is a bit of a tearing. There is a bit of a tearing. And if you have, for instance, a, oh, Myrtle Beach has like a nine-player infield rotation. You know, nine guys, you're starting today, you're starting today, you're starting today, you're starting today. You know the guys, you're on the bench. So when you have a nine-person rotation... When you're the f first four, uh, among the first four, the first six, you're going to play most of the time, or at least well over half the time. When you end up being the seventh or eighth guy, you're kind of a little bit, you know, eh, warning signs you might want to start playing better. There's a nine-man rotation, and you're the ninth guy, and you know it. You probably might be the next guy out the door. So uh, Parker Shavers has a had a 956 OPS at Coastal Carolina. He's better than some of the players in Myrtle Beach. Which specific guys? I'm not going to tell you that. You can go look at the numbers page, at the statistics page. You might be able to figure some things out. But check the player's age. Check how he was acquired, when he was acquired, how long he has until he's um, 
rule five free uh rule five uh draft selection um rule five draft eligible or how long until he's a actual minor league free agent you know there are just there are things you can check down look at this look at that look at the other thing you start to decide okay this guy's probably one through four this guy's five and six this guy's seven this guy's eight and this guy's probably the nine but when you have that rotation you can generally tell which guy is probably a little bit more in trouble parker shavers is better than some of the myrtle beach outfielders now is parker shavers better than the level that Myrtle Beach is at. Now that I don't know. You know, he'd have to go out and play for, you know, 20, 30 games. And if he's, oh, this guy's better than Myrtle Beach, then you move him up to South Bend. Same thing with uh, Christian Franklin. Send him to Myrtle Beach. How's he do there? If he does really well, then you move him up to South Bend and you do something up there. Make another spot for somebody else to come in. But um, Parker Shavers is better than some of the people in Myrtle Beach. He will not be prevented from going to Myrtle Beach by much of anything as if Parker Shavers would put the Cubs organization over 180 players, someone else would go away. And it wouldn't be Parker Shavers. He's, a, he's good enough. He plays good enough defensively. He's quick enough. He has enough power. And he had a 956 OPS playing at Coastal Carolina. He's not going to be the problem. He'll get a look. He'll get an honest assessment. Pick eight. After being absolutely ecstatic over Parker Shavers, the Cubs finally, finally, finally did something that I wanted them to do for a while. They drafted Casey Opitz, a catcher from Arkansas. Casey Opitz is the prototype college catcher. He hits some. He calls the game. He throws people out. He throws back picks. He, do, he does all the things that catchers are supposed to do in college. His career OPS is 716. Ooh, that was scary, oddly. Um, there, there's a, like a cannon sound outside. Huh. Uh, there's a firecracker, but it sounded like a cannon. Kind of threw me there for a second. Casey Opitz is a legitimate SEC catcher. Now, Casey Opitz, after a very short time in Mesa, will get promoted. I'm not going to predict that he will get Ethan Hearn sent back down to Mesa. I'm not going to predict that he's going to get Pablo Aliendo sent back down to Mesa. Now, it could be they use all three of them at Myrtle Beach, at least for a while. Or it could be they decide to use two of those. I think they have a third guy who hangs around. And um, they could send up Pablo Aliendo to South Bend. See how he does up there. Give him a shot. Give him a look. Uh, see, he, Aliendo has done fairly well at, um, South Bend, uh, at Myrtle Beach. Send him up to South Bend, give him a look there. And if it ends up that Aliendo isn't as good as Opitz, and Opitz belongs in South Bend, then you just flip him. It's no humiliation. It's generally a good idea to let players play at every level on the way up so they know 
throughout the system, yeah, I have to perform at every level. I can't just assume I'm going to show up, I'm going to play three or four games, and I'm going to get called up. Make players know they have to earn the promotion. So um, Casey Opitz, totally legitimate college catcher with a player like Casey Opitz. It's 2021. He will not be Rule 5 draft eligible until December of 2021, 2022, 2023, 2024. 2024. Casey Opitz will not be Rule 5 eligible until 2024. Now, I'm not saying that Casey Opitz will be a major league catcher. I'm not saying that. I'm not going to assume that. He's an eighth rounder. That's a decent spot to grab a legitimate two-way college catcher. Maybe he'll figure it out. Maybe he won't. Maybe he'll learn how to hit with more power. Maybe he'll become amazingly good at calling games and uh, pitchers insist on him being their uh, personal catcher. I don't know how it's going to work out, but with Casey, o- Casey Opitz, he's going to have very soon in the Cubs pipeline three years of teaching himself, learning how to be a professional catcher instead of a college catcher. There is a bit of a difference. In college, winning is the difference. So quite often the coach will end up calling the pitches. I want the pitch to be a high fastball. I don't want it to be a slider, and I don't want the catcher to call it because if the catcher's calling the game, he might make call the wrong pitch. We might lose, and I might get fired because of it. You see how that works? In... Minor league ball, it's about developing the players, getting the players better, and keeping your job that way. And Casey Opitz will have three three years and three months of getting used to being a professional catcher. If he's really good at it by that time, he might be to the point where he is considered um, major league ready. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. But he certainly has the makings of someone for whom that could happen. For an eighth-round gamble, that ain't bad. Ninth selection, Chase Watkins. Wasn't familiar with him. I'm sure I've heard him play because once I heard left-handed pitcher out of Oregon State, I became completely positive I've heard him play because I had five or six Oregon State games on this year at various points in the game. I'm confident I heard Chase Watkins pitch, but I don't remember the name, not even remotely, not even at all. But I'm sure Chase Watkins will come in out of the bullpen, and I kind of disregarded it because I wasn't really thinking that Chase Watkins is a guy that the Cubs will end up drafting. Uh, Chase Watkins... 91, 92 has a little bit of uh, a little bit of a repertoire. There's some discussion that the Cubs may try him out as a starting pitcher at the professional level. If you look closely enough at the South Bend roster now, there may be a guy that could possibly be replaced by Chase Watkins. Now, it wouldn't be that Chase Watkins would walk in and someone in the rotation would get released. It would probably be more along the lines of Chase Watkins might go into the rotation. The guy who's now in the rotation would go into the bullpen and somebody in the bullpen would get released. But when you only have 180 spots, 
and you're really close to 180 right now, once certain players start getting signed, certain other players are going to have to start getting released because that's how it ends up having to work. Tenth pick, Parker Matt. He had played four years at Pennsylvania, the Quakers, and then transferred as a graduate transfer to Duke. And at Duke in the Atlantic Coast Conference, I'm trusting you have a decent feel for the ACC. If I were to give you numbers on the Ivy League, you might be, I don't know, is that a good number for the Ivy League? But with the ACC, if I were to give you an OPS, you'd probably have a fairly decent idea of, oh, well, okay, if that's a pretty good number, then he's probably a decent hitter. Well, Parker Matt, as a fifth-year senior at Duke, had an OPS of 924. I listened to enough Duke games that I didn't pick up Parker Matt immediately. He was one of those guys that about the fourth or fifth game I had, oh, Parker Matt. Yeah, I remember him. He was in that other game. He'd been in all of them, but it just takes a while to start getting used to the names and who's batting where and who's doing what. And Parker Matt was one of those third hitter, fourth hitter, fifth hitter guys that uh, had power, went yard a number of times. And I'm sure I heard him go deep a couple of times. Um, 9.24 OPS at the Atlantic Coast Conference level. I'm going to say that one more time. You probably heard it perfectly well the first time. 9.24 OPS at Duke in the ACC. If you're talking about a player who has an OPS of 9.24 at Duke, in the ACC, he can probably hit a little bit. Just a little bit. I think he had like 15 home runs, something like that. His position listed is outfield. Um, I don't remember ever hearing him making any defensive plays. I think he's more of a nominal outfielder. Uh, probably more of a designated hitter. Maybe a first baseman that they think they might be able to teach how to play left field. I, I'm not exactly sure. I, I remember I, I didn't run any box scores or anything like that. But Parker Matt can hit. So Parker Matt can hit. We're going to start there. He's not going to spend a whole heck of a lot of time in the Arizona League. He's just not. He's not going to play in the Arizona League. Parker Matt within, ooh, let's say three weeks will be in Myrtle Beach. Okay, so whose job is in danger in Myrtle Beach. Remember how I was talking about how you have the 15, 16, 17 different hitters? And let's say there's kind of, you know, you have the guys who are the regulars, you have the guys who are the fill-ins, and then you have the guys who are on the team because, well, we really don't have anybody at that position. Some of those guys on Myrtle Beach may have been infielders, first basemen, DHs, guys who can only play left field, and they're kind of old for the level. Those are the kind of guys that might be in trouble keeping their job with Parker Matt showing up. Because Parker Matt, I would put it this way, they could probably stick Parker Matt in left field. They could probably stick Parker Matt at first base. They could probably stick Parker Matt, the designated hitter, and he'd beat the hell out of the ball. Because that's what he does. That's his gig. He hits the heck out of the ball. And if the Myrtle Beach Pelicans batted Parker Matt sixth in their lineup, once he gets his legs, once he gets used to the speed, 
he, I don't know that he hit 924, but he certainly wouldn't like hit 156 or anything like that. Parker Matt can hit. Parker Matt will effectively replace two or three players on the Myrtle Beach roster because you plug him in, he's better than the other guys. The other guys are older, and the other guys don't have any defensive flexibility on them. So what ends up happening is the players that the Cubs drafted in rounds 6 through 10, Parker Shavers, Casey Opitz, and Peter Matt are going to replace players in the organization. That's exactly what you're looking for. Some of the other players, the, the pitchers, they will take other people's spots too because you either perform or you leave, especially with only 180 roster spots. But um, Chase Watkins will probably get a bit of a look in 2021. I doubt he would end up being one of those for future contract, uh, for future service guys. Probably uh, South Bend would like, um, the Cubs would like to get him to Myrtle Beach rather quickly and possibly replace some of the guys who are lagging. Uh, and, and there are some. There are some in every organization. And this draft is looking rather good at replacing players who really don't seem to be horribly necessary anymore. And there were a number of guys who were signed like that because of injuries. You know, you, oh, we're down a catcher. We got to go out and bring in a catcher because we don't have a catcher. Well, guess what? Have Casey Opitz now. Don't have to worry about that. So players who were brought in because, well, we absolutely have to have somebody. Well, they have somebody now. They have players... They have players that they can fill in the spots, and very soon some of the players that were more short-term options and long-term options will be leaving as the draft player draft picks get signed and get assigned. Tomorrow there will be 10 more players drafted. Two more things to talk about on it. One is the Cubs. Looking at it, it looks like they're probably a little bit below on their spending. A little bit below, not a whole lot, but a little bit below. So there's basically two ways that they can go with that. And either one of them I'd be fine with. And a lot of it is going to have to do with talking to agents, talk, having the agents talk to players and figure out what's the magic number. I talk a, a lot about the magic number with Tom Ricketts. What's Tom Ricketts' magic number for Jed Hoyer? Is it 180 million? Is it 140 million? Is it 123.1 million? Whatever it is, there's a magic number. Here's the number you have to get below it. It's what your job is. Do it. It's not, oh, gee, I, I really don't. No, 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 no. That's the number. Get below it. Do it. With the player, the magic number is if the Cubs are thinking, okay, we can sign third day draft picks. $125,000 regardless. It doesn't matter what the situation is with how much is spent on whoever. The first $125,000 on a player are free. Now, as the Cubs have been discussing with the first 10 players, I'm going to run through the names. Jordan Wicks, James Triantos, Drew Gray, Christian Franklin, Liam Spence, Riley Martin, Parker Shavers, Casey Opitz, Chase Watkins, and Peter Matt. If the Cubs are a bit below on spending, which is the goal for the first day, the first two days, if you're a little bit below, 
then that means you can take a gamble or two the second day. Do the Cubs want to try to get a medium risk high school player to get them back up to the normal standard appropriate amount? That's one way to do it. I wouldn't object to it. I wouldn't object to it at all. On the other hand, another way to do it, this also can work, is don't make the gamble for the high school player. Instead, make the gamble for players who are injured, possibly recuperating from Tommy John surgery. Say, how about this? We will pay you over the $125,000. We will give you as good as medical coverage as you'll get from the college. We will pot commit to getting you fixed back up as best as possible. Make some gambles that way. Make some gambles on players who are sophomores that have a whole bunch of eligibility left. There are a number of different ways that you can make gambles to spend to get um, added quality. And boy, I hope the Cubs are doing that in one way, shape, or form. Because you want to get the best draft pool possible that you can. And basically spend every last nickel. Um, So yeah, they can either do the gamble and try to get a high school player. Except that way, if you miss, uh, then you're likely to lose the entire draft choice. Um, You know, not sign the player and only have 19 players instead of 20. Or they can be a bit more conservative and just make more gambles with players who still have college eligibility left but aren't going to require as much of a financial buyout. I'm good with this Cubs draft. I'm good with this Cubs draft so far. Um, We'll see. It'll be, you know, we'll find out over the next uh, four or five, ten years. But there are enough players there that I'm going to have the opportunity to say, at least for myself, I'm confident with this specific player on their ability to do this, this, and this. The question is, will they do the other two things? And from that, I will be able to assess how well I assessed. Assess the assessor. So um, the draft pool looks really good now. Part of it is because I love having hitters. And as I count, there are six hitters and four left-handed pitchers. So I'm very happy when I see more hitters than pitchers. And as to whether it will all work out and all the players, enough of the players will, you know, do well enough to make it pay off. Hey, we'll find out. We will learn that. But um, the organizational depth should be upgraded. And with the organizational depth at the lower levels being upgraded, I'm going to say that again, the organizational depth at the lower levels, high A, low A, rookie league, complex league, those levels are going to be upgraded in July as there are trades the Cubs don't have to try to upgrade those spots so much anymore. They can get a bit more aggressive and 
invest instead of getting three players cut it to two instead of getting the two players cut it to one and get the one player or the two players who are a little bit better possibly a little bit further advanced not a whole lot necessarily but you uh, um do it that way uh the draft is often very good at upgrading the lower end of the talent pool. And as the Cubs look to trade players like Jack Peterson or Zach Davies or some of the relievers or some of the bigger names, possibly, 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 they can seek the one bigger fish the one starting pitcher at the A-ball level, at the advanced A level, and go with it like that. So uh, I'm completely good with the 1 through 10 on the draft. I have a couple more things to do. Then I'll get back and do a podcast on the two Dominican Summer League games. And yes, those two definitely deserve to be talked about today. Um, But... Thanks for listening. Thanks for putting up with a whole bunch of names that aren't familiar to you. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, as the draft pool starts to finalize, you can pick that one that one player, maybe those two players that, hey, I'm going to follow Parker Shavers. I want to follow Casey Opitz. Parker Matt. Or Peter Matt sounds like he's, you know, I, I'm going to follow whoever it is that you decide. I want to follow this guy. Uh, and, and if you're completely baffled on who to follow, Christian Franklin's a good one. Uh, thanks for listening. I will have another one up probably later this evening. And have a nice night. And remember, the three days of the draft are very important. Thanks for listening.